So we have this uh, simple list that we can recite, Rupang, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, five aggregates. Um, strange term, strange word, Kanda, sections, sometimes means something like sections. Aggregate means to stick together, to stick together. It's, it sticks together, these five create the phenomenal world, both the world of our thoughts, impressions, moods, reactions, and the world of sights and sounds. So it's a holistic cosmos. And each of these aggregates themselves are, are stuck together. So you don't just have one consciousness, you have six of them stuck together or sticking together to create a world. You know, see, for example, you don't just see, you see, and your mind interprets, that's two stuck together. You generally see and hear and remember, and that creates an object. So that's two or three stuck together, create uh, this, the way we internalize the impressions of the world. You see a physical shape, looks like so-and-so, you get a memory, an emotional memory, oh, that's her. That's stuck together from two or three different aspects of consciousness. And then you, so, and you have perceptions based upon sight, sound, touch, thought. These are the interpretations, the memories, the impressions, the shape seems to me to signify bell or cow or man, you know. And so there's sanya. And of course this gets very intricate. This isn't just man, this is, you know, sian or kuang or someone, you know. So you get the... And then you see, oh, he's not looking happy. You see the face not looking happy. So you get the sanya around just what these face muscles are doing, representing the person's mood. See, the sanya. And these are extremely poignant. And particularly the sanya we get from other people. We're very sensitive to the body language and the facial language and the voice tones of other people. And sanya is deeply effective to us. And then we get also with sanya, you're not just getting the, um, like a, a, a factual, inter, factual presentation, but you also get a karmic addition to it. Here in his minds, we have someone who threatened me, therefore I feel fear. She reminds me of someone who loved me, therefore I feel happy. Yeah. Uh, you know, dogs make me feel very nervous because I was bitten by one when I was three. Dogs make me feel happy because I used to play with one when I was three. <laughs> you know, so you see this creature and dog and then various emotions can occur. Of course, this gets very intricate with other human beings. You live together, friends, relatives, neighbors, acquaintances, people you work with. You get all kinds of remembered impressions 
that are stored up. She's bad-tempered. He's impatient. He's kind of in, in, he's blundering. He's clumsy. We carry this impression, and then the next day you see them. This impression comes up. <clears throat> so we see th- people through the lens of the past karma, past events. Sanya. And later this sanya, every time sanya strikes chitta, chitta gets a feeling. It feels, it resonates. Agreeable, disagreeable, neutral, mild, strong, passionate, and so on. Vedana. Rupa, sense of just a, uh, a visual object. And we say, well, you know, surely that's a single thing. Not really. You look at someone, first of all you see her general shape, then you see her hands, then you flick to her face, you go back to her general shape, then you look at her eyes, then you go back to her hands, it just darts around, you see her clothes, and it's kind of shifting to get this impression. So what do you see when you see a person? You see their shape, their face, their eyes, their clothes. What do you see? You probably see a number of things, one thing after the other very quickly to build up the impression. You know, she's wearing a very formal dress. This must mean something official is happening. She's wearing casual clothes. This means we can be relaxed. So you get all these impressions build up to inform you of how to behave, how to relate. So what do you see? (laughs) What do you see when you come in the room? Do you see the floor? Do you see the Buddha? Do you see the lights? Do you see me? Do you see some detail that interests you or annoys you? Do you see the fire notices? Do you see the blinds? Do you see what do you see? The world of form. It's very um, affected by what we choose to see or interests, or gladdens us, or annoys us. So form itself is really just um, a little bit of a conjuring trick. You see a shape and you imagine something that isn't there. You see someone's front, you imagine their back. (laughs) So this is how uh, this world gets concocted and this uh, concocting is uh, a quality of sankara which we can try several words (laughs) conditioning, constructing, concocting fabricating, forming formations Uh, they they say these formations build up everything so form is dependent on formation they, for, they formulate form. They formulate perception. They formulate feeling, mental feeling. They formulate uh, consciousness. How do they do that? Because through attention. Attention is a sankara that helps to formulate. What do you see? When you see the room, you see probably 2% at any particular time. You don't see everybody in the room and the clock and the 
fire escape notices and the Buddha and the lights, you just see, perhaps you just see me. And how much is that? Because your attention is there. Right? You may see the, the motif on a t-shirt. Oh, look, that's interesting. Yeah. The attention picks a particular object. That's, a, that's, a, that's formulated, that's sankharad through attention. Right? So attention formulates form. Do you get it? It fabricates, it decides which particular aspects of the visual field, for example, you will select and focus on. Right? Formulates perception. How does it formulate perception? It, it uh, encourages this quality of remembering. Remembering and uh, fixating. And by and large, we remember and fixate upon the qualities of experience that have been the most intense, intensely pleasant, or intensely moving, or intensely saddening, or intensely irritating. Most of our life is just a blur, (laughs) but with little points. You go through a day, how much of it you know, do you really, you know, really hits you, touches you, and lingers? So Sankara determines that qualities to be perceived dependent upon feeling, contact. Contact is a Sankara. Contact is a sankara, a constructing force. So what this indicates is that, uh, you know, as we as we sit here, even our all our sense doors are open. We can feel things through our body. We could hear things. We could see things. What makes contact? What really strikes your chitta? Probably, I hope, what I'm saying strikes your chitta. But it may be suddenly you've gone off. Your mind has gone off to the bird. Singing out the door. Oh, interesting. What's that? Because that's contact, that moment of, oh. And so that determines where your attention will go. Contact is a sankara. Doesn't mean that everything, you know, possibly you could be in contact with the feeling in your knees. There's wonderful, luminous Dhamma talk, and you're, oh, my knees, my knees, my knees. Dhamma talk isn't even getting in there. Or you could be sitting here listening to Dhamma talk thinking, lunch, 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 and the memory of perception of lunch is making contact. And the Dhamma talk, somebody going on about impermanence, so you've heard that before. <laughs> so what, what makes contact? That's, that's not... That's not just what's happening, it's what, we, what the mind, you know, what the sankhara concocts as being right now the most grabbing, you know? It could be something that isn't even happening, like the idea of lunch in the future. So contact could be just immaterial, mental contact. The memory of someone who's just passed away. 
the anticipation of some friend we're going to meet on New Year. Oh, lift it up. Contact. It isn't even here. It's just, the, it's just an idea, but that poignant contact, the Sankara, oh, constructs that, conditions that. Something that isn't here can have much more impact than something that is. <laughs> because what's here, and then you begin to recognize your citta actually doesn't doesn't exist in the world of sense data, it exists in the world of sankhara, karma. So we can be sitting here physically, but our mind is somewhere else. How can that be? Because citta isn't located in a physical place or a, phys- or a time. You could be being completely um, carried away by a memory of something that happened five years ago, and that's where you'd be. Jitta lives within the realm of, uh, or is moved by the realm of conditioned phenomena, by karma, by what's, uh, where we, you know, doesn't, doesn't exist in the world of space and time. Memories of five years ago can be much more passionate than what's happening at nine o'clock in the morning in, in Bodhi, Bodhi Uttama Vihara. Yeah. Once you begin to understand this, you realize you're not going to be happy in a place or a time. You're only going to be happy through clearing, soothing, releasing yourself from the grip of sankhara and karma. So it's fabrications, conditions, constructions, concoctions, formations. Sankhara construct perception through contact. Construct feeling through contact. Mm-hmm. Where, where the contact sankara goes, there's where your feeling will go. Your basis for feeling. Mm-hmm. So you can be, as I said, you can make contact with a memory and get an extremely painful feeling right now of something that happened three years ago because the contact goes there the attention goes there contact arises there feeling feeling moves and sankhara concoct, construct sankhara that means that dependent on what contact and attention have brought, here comes the impulse, the intention, the chetana, get me out of here, help, fight, run away, deal with it, struggle with it, pacify it, fondle it, get excited by it, feel despondent by it, enjoy it, something runs out, starts getting engaged, 
sankhara, concoct sankhara. We have different ways of getting engaged. We can get engaged with aversion, get engaged with fear, get engaged with joy, get engaged with affection. Some of it's nice, pleasant, agreeable. Some of it's extremely disagreeable. We keep getting engaged, engaged. But nobody ever gets married because the engagement breaks off. <laughs> and then you've got to go and look for another one. <laughs> but we keep trying to get married to something. And it, oh, what happened to that? <laughs> because the impulse, the intention rises up, but it rises up to engage, but. <clears throat> What we engage with is the feeling of rising up to engage. And as soon as you get something, then you can't rise up to engage with it because you've already got it. It's like you can't keep running after a bus when you're sitting on it, can you? So then the feeling you got out of running after a bus isn't there and you start thinking about, well, maybe I could go somewhere else. Because you don't get that same excitement you get if you're chasing it. So the chitana is like this. The mind rushes after things, gets hold of something, and then oh, that quality of passion, interest, is no longer being stimulated. So we search for something else. And sankara concoct volition. Volition supports desire. Desire supports volition. Uh, and nothing arrives anywhere. Really. You arrive at a feeling, maybe, that passes. Perception that passes. So this is the, uh, the world of the aggregates. And you can see how crucial uh, within all that, this sankara is because sankara concoct form they concoct feeling they concoct perception they concoct sankara they concoct consciousness once again how does how do sankara con- concoct feeling? surely feeling is just there on its own no yeah. Notice, can you feel, maybe you were hungry an hour ago. Can you feel the feeling of not hungry? No. <laughs> because it's not interesting, it doesn't stimulate, does it? A neutral feeling doesn't, so, the same, so what we feel is what is heightened by contact. What contact that which has got the strongest degree of feeling in it. Mm-hmm. And mostly the, the, the strength of feeling is, is marked by how passionately we're engaged with it. That passionate engagement of the mind intensifies feeling. A passionate engagement intensifies feeling. And particularly, of course, with mental feeling this is really the most crucial piece, as I've suggested, 
we may think feeling refers to yes the body but the over overwhelming and overriding uh, quality of feelings is mental or you could psychological emotional that's the one that overrides everything you know I'm with my friends da 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 we're feeling really happy sure it's you know a bit hungry but it doesn't really matter I'm getting wet in the rain that doesn't I don't hardly notice it because I'm having such a good time with my friends. The mental feeling overrides the physical feeling. Right now, I've got no pain in my body, but I've got this miserable mood in my mind. I feel depressed. Mental feeling overrides the physical feeling. And it's very, very obvious. You know, we certainly, you know, in our day and age, and I guess most of the places I visit, most people are reasonably healthy. They've got a degree of comfort. They're not in searing pain. A little bit of discomfort now and then. Physically, it's okay. Mentally, unhappy. Uh, Stressed, anxious, depressed worried, nervous, restless. Mental feeling surpasses the physical feeling. And whatever is the most heightened and strong attracts our attention. Passion goes into it. Passion is not just the sense of really enjoying something, it means the degree of emotional intensity that occurs at that with that feeling, with that sanya. You know, maybe you go down the street and a taxi driver shouts at you, you think, yeah, taxi driver, yeah. Right? So what? You get home and then your wife shouts at you. (laughs) Much worse, isn't it? (laughs) Or your son, you know, he sees somebody else, but the more involved you are, the heightened the emotional intensity, the feeling is much stronger. You know, you dismiss the taxi driver shouting at you in like 10 seconds, you know, so what, idiot. But then someone near and dear to you shouts, you remember it for years. <laughs> Why is that? Because of the emotional intensity, the, the disposition of the chitta, the attachment of the chitta, uh, the engagement of the chitta, generates passion, intensification of feeling. That's sankhara, that intensification. And what is the nature of that intensification? When you sum it up, when you really sum it up, I am. And the I am sense is much stronger with people who I have a long-term relationship with, who I care for, my husband, my son, really strong. He's mine. (laughs) She's mine. This is my friend, my son, my husband, my wife, you know, mine, strong. And therefore what they do really counts. You know, somebody else, an idiot, just dismiss it. 
but then you know your partner makes you know doesn't put the the things correctly in, in the house you get upset misbehaves or turns up late we feel offended why did you turn up late I don't mean anything to you do I you turn up late you ignore me all the time <laughs> just through something that didn't happen what didn't happen was he or she wasn't there at the right time then you can get offended by something that didn't happen it means they don't care for you that's what it means it doesn't mean their car got stuck in the traffic it doesn't mean their clock didn't work it doesn't mean they had to deal with their dog it means they don't care for me you know sanya concocted right? feeling oh. <laughs> and then it stays there I know she doesn't really care for me and then that's another look and she didn't do that either and he didn't do that and he never does that and he always does that that proves it so you get this whole kind of story going on this life and you remember all the details ten years ago he said this eight years ago he didn't say that six years ago he forgot my birthday three years ago he didn't do the washing up you know, it kind of builds up this profile of, of uh, that's, that's constructed. You don't remember things like, you know, non-aggression, non-violence and so forth. You remember things that didn't happen. Miss things that struck you because you were intensely involved with it all. That's passion. We get extremely happy then we get disappointed. Uh, this is Sankara. It's, and this Sankara is associated with the I am sense, what my identity is based upon. And by and large, human beings find identity in relationship with other human beings. You know, she makes me feel comfortable. I like that. It helps me. It's understandable, isn't it? We, we experience ourselves in terms of how other people are relating to us. That's the way we're built. That's the way we're, that's the way we're constructed. Experience ourselves in terms of other people, how we interpret other people relating to us. <laughs> it gets really really difficult and particularly of course in retreats or in monasteries a lot of the time people are silent um, I wonder what she's thinking about me I don't know they're all very silent perhaps they're really feeling angry upset, annoyed plotting something wanting something, maybe I did something terrible they're just not saying right now get very anxious and often it's the case particularly when one goes to monasteries you go in and the monk just sits there Mm -hmm. doesn't look excited doesn't jump up and give you a hug (laughs) you think perhaps I'm not welcome 
You have to get used to it. It just gives you a chance for you to feel what you feel and let it pass. It's not going to actually add anything or subtract anything. It just remains a calm, steady presence. You know, just say, look, here I am. You feel what you're feeling and just witness that. That's okay with me, you know. If you're nervous, that's okay. If you're happy, that's okay. And just let it pass. So the monk acts as a kind of just a simple mirror. I'm not going to try to make you anything, either happy or anything. Just just be there, and you can witness your own emotional patterns as they arise and pass. You know, calm, that steadiness gives calm. <clears throat> this is one way in which we. That's a simple example of how we meditate. Um, then you're at least witnessing the contact impressions, the sanya and the sankara that are trying to make things okay or be another way, the agitation, and just, just stay there and let that relax you. Yeah? Relax, relax, just breathe out. Hmm? So we uh, most uh, appropriately or, gen- or, or immediately we try to at least do something about sankhara because this is the thing that underlies everything. For example, we try to select what we make contact with. Just put your eyes on that, bring your mind to that. Of course it's not easy because your eyes may do something, you've got some say over your mind, swings off, because the mind is meanwhile being impacted by these karmic impressions which are welling up. Yeah? The internal world is much more dynamic than, than the external of sights and sounds. This mental world is teeming, shifting, changing, and unpredictable what, will, what it will come up with. It's not related to time and place. It's related to karmic intensity. karmic intensity and we can come to some very intense experiences in our karmic pattern when who knows why but a lot of fear coming up a lot of uncertainty or just feeling depressed what's wrong it's internal it's just welling up welling up and when you do a retreat because the external contact is quite restrained it's this in this Mental contact is what's really the dominant force, and that's tough, and yet it's necessary <clears throat> because you want to clear it. Uh, it's tough because you never quite know what's going to come out on any day. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough because it's generally passionate generally got the power to move you that's why it arises so something you didn't really reckon on it's got power to move you wells up with a big I am written on it (laughs) so our first uh, that's what happens you know certainly we try to curb it with some reference to a meditation object but as you well know the ability to stay with a single meditation object is probably not 
anywhere near 100%, 50%, maybe 30% of the time. It's probably 30% of the time is pretty good. Most of the time it's just, woo wee, 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 and then back. Woo wee, wee, woo wee, and then back. <laughs> Think something going wrong? No, 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 nothing's going wrong. That's, that's about it, really. Um, but then, what can occur is instead of the the first thing, we you know we can't have so much. We can't determine that. We have, only have so much control over it. We do put a, a a fence around it in terms of what we do and say, and we've got a meditation object there to at least put a, a like a mooring post. You can keep tying your mind to. And yet this stuff arises in a way it has to in order to be to be cleared out. The first thing we do is of course with that sense of trying to work on non non reactivity, so at least the volitional element of Sankara, that impulse to run out, to attack, to proliferate, to keep thinking about it, to worry about it, to get fascinated by it, to blame it on someone, to blame it on oneself, all that volitional stuff is down, down. It's just the feeling, it's just an emotion. It's just the, yeah, you know, accept, accept, accept. It doesn't mean enjoy, it doesn't mean approve, it just means stop reacting to it. Can you do that? And again, that's probably, you know, 50, 60% of the time maybe maybe a little bit more, a lot of the time we're just caught in reactivity. Okay, then notice that experience, that perception. I am someone who's caught in reactivity. Dukkha Vedana. <laughs> the feeling of being caught in reactivity makes you feel depressed. No? When you're caught in reactivity, accept, I am, my mind is caught in reactivity. <laughs> so then you try to stop it there. Wherever you can stop it, the on-running of proliferation, you stop it. So you say, you know, I'm someone who is caught in reactivity. Okay, what's that feel like? Feels difficult. Feels difficult. Uh-huh. How is that? Oh, difficult. How is that? Oh sad okay and what does when you're feeling that sadness that sense of defeated or unmanaged what what would, what would be helpful oh some compassion that's what there you go there's some medicine that's some medicine So this is where we begin to learn our, our healing. So you always apply the healing at the place where you can acknowledge the feeling. Sometimes things are moving so fast. I can't acknowledge the feeling of the breath. It's just too subtle. I can't, you know. Or like, uh, you know, everything's run about so fast that I can't get back to it, I don't feel it. Then how do you feel about that? 
oh, struggling, unhappy. Okay, well there, there you can you can get that, can't you? The emotional feeling of not being able to meditate. <laughs> and how's that feel? Oh, really depressed, sad, unhappy. Yes, that's it. You got it. Now at that point, this is where you start to relate to it. Instead of the compulsive sankara reaction, you get a kind of dhamma input. Metta, karuna. And what does that mean? That means maybe we listen, we sympathize, we don't have to explain it, justify it, just, just hold it in the heart. Oh, that little bit, oh, the impact just declines, the impact slows down, the emotion stabilizes, releases. And we've learned something about kindness towards one's life, oneself, towards these emotional patterns, psychological grips we get caught in. As you've learned that, you've learned something very valuable. You may not have got samadhi, but you've got something else. So, okay. I went to the shop looking for some samadhi, they gave me bananas. Okay, I'll take some bananas because that's what's available. <laughs> I'll get some metta. That's good stuff, you know. Because <laughs> it is, because you're still, with metta and karuna, you're beginning to work or find a, a means that the chitta can settle in. Oh. And it helps to stabilize because metta is a relational experience. And the citta, when it knows how to relate, is less fixated on experience. It's actually got a, a relationship with experience. This is a very important lesson to learn because if one's relationship with experience is always just compulsive engagement, and compulsive fighting, compulsive grabbing, compulsive stimulation, compulsive suppression then it's just the, the, the chetana, the sankara is locked into this pattern which doesn't go anywhere useful it just intensifies your life so if you relate to your body or your mind or your problems with a, a sankara, a chetana that just fights it suppresses it uh, accuses it tries to dismiss it, that's not, a, that's not an effective relationship. It, and it will just intensify the, the feeling and the, the power of the sankara. And of course, the way that our social lives live are, a lot of the time we do suppress the feeling and the, and the emotion because that's being polite or, you know, it's not the appropriate time to... You know, so just we've got to get on to get to the next job or the next bus or the next destiny or the next thing done. So we just you know, get on with it. Business model. And this is just so then in meditation you've got to really unpack some of this. Develop these qualities, metta karuna happen. 
And that helps to change the nature of, of chetana, of volition, of intention. Your intention now is to just to be more spacious and compassionate and accepting. That's a little bit of change in the sankhara aggregate. But because it's a significant change, because now the jitta is not taking its cue, it's not with the quality of the, of the immediate impression, it's not bonded to the immediate impression, it's actually separated from the impression and relating to it. Yeah? So say the impression is disagreeable and the mind bonds to that, what does it do with the disagreeable? It fights it, it blames it, it attacks it, it doesn't want it, it rejects it. That's a compulsive, yeah? And so it, the, the quality of the jitta gets angry and sour and bitter because it's engaged with something that's unpleasant. Even if it's pushing it away, it's still got a negative, afflictive relationship. Now, what do you like if the unpleasant arises and this relationship is, oh, this is the unpleasant, hmm, needs to be a bit patient with this one, really unpleasant, There's a lot of space and equanimity around this one, what's happening? Jitta is in fact relating to it, but in some way moving away from being overtaken by that disagreeable feeling. So the strange thing is through, it's not through a negative force of disengaging, but through the positive application of a Dhamma quality that a positive disengagement occurs. That is, we don't get swept away by the bad feeling. Instead, we stay steady with the bad feeling and the bad feeling has nothing to hold on to. The jitta is not in it. The jitta is not in the bad feeling. So the bad feeling has got nothing to hold on to and it slips away. If you engage with the bad feeling, the bad feeling engages with your chitta. They're locked together. The chitta can't escape because it's, it's, it's locked to it. Like somebody wrestling with an octopus. The more they wrestle, the more angry the octopus gets, <laughs> and so forth. The tar baby effect, you know what a tar baby is? They make a baby out of tar. It's an old folk story. How to trap a monkey. You make a tar baby out of tar, little, little monkey comes along, what's that? Sticks his paw on it, paw gets stuck. Hmm. Oh, I've got to get, so he sticks his other paw in it to get it, push it away. Two paws get stuck. Now, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I've got to really get away from this thing. So he kicks it. His foot gets stuck. <laughs> and he kicks it with another foot. Another foot gets stuck. And he hits it with his head, gets stuck. Because <laughs> even though he's trying to push it away, he keeps sticking to it. <laughs> Do you have any of those? <laughs> Did you bring your tar babies with you? But if the, if the monkey goes, well, oh, that looks a sticky-looking tar baby, oh, may that be well. That's fine with me. Yeah. I don't mind. It doesn't look so good, but that's okay. No sticking. <laughs> and 
And the nature of, strangely enough, the nature of our mental tar babies is that if you don't stick to them, they don't get any passion, their stickiness starts to decline. They're still there, but they're not so sticky anymore. And you keep sustaining that quality of wise, compassionate attention, they gradually shrivel and fade out because you're not putting any passion into them. (laughs) Not any intensity into them. Not any I am into them. Not any I should be into them. No, any I shouldn't be into them. You know, adding I ought not to feel this. You know, adding I ought to feel something different. All these I ams stick to it. (laughs) So we moderate that because, you know, that's the nature of tar babies, they're sticky. And we also, so this is how you directly work on a sankara. And if, then if that has released, then you can say, oh, very good. Then you can turn back to your meditation theme, deepen into that, develop a skillful relationship with that, and the meditation object is not there to be stuck to. It's there to learn this skill of sati, mindfulness, which is a very careful holding without grasping, holding in order to listen, attending it toward to listen and to make the mind more sensitive and attentive to the moment-by-moment change of phenomena. This is a very important learning that citta has to go through and being educated in. Unlike any other school, Jitta wants to run out and play at times. Okay, bring it back, you know. So again, we're training our uh, volition to not just attend to which things which give us the most passion, the most aversion, the most problems, which is something steady in, the, in this very body, the breathing in and out. In relationship to that, it can be assured, comfortable because it's a steady quality, it's a resonant quality. Breathing it out is actually a very beautiful experience of vitalization and relaxation. You hold it carefully, you pick, jitter picks up those signals, the sanya of that, the perception of that, and it feels calmed. And this process can go on to Qualities, you know, we call it samatha, samadhi, and jhana, which are extremely, extremely agreeable, steady perceptions. Steady, still constructed, but they're, they're helpful constructions. And, but then, of course, with these, we have to learn not to grasp, but to realize in the steadiness is the possibility of a dispassion not emotionally fired up about it. (laughs) Because the less fired up about it you get, the steadier and calmer the experience gets. And in that cooling of passion, you're able to see much more clearly the variable, fluctuating nature of perceptions, uh, even in mental perceptions. It's an important lesson to learn. So we moderate sankhara. We moderate it through attention, either what we deliberately attend to or even the mode of our attention. When you 
begin to understand attention, you can see it rather like the lens of a camera, where you can go into macro, tiny little focus, or you can go open it right out, panorama, move it in and out. And you do this with your mind. If the mind is getting hypnotized, start to widen it. Generally, the wider perception, wider attention has less um, hypnotic effect, less grip to it, less intensity to it. So if you want calm, you generally widen, release. Problem with the wider, wider aperture is you can lose focus. You get a bit blurry and dizzy or dreamy. Therefore, you narrow it, get crisp again. Get too tight, you get rather intense, fixated, soften it. So you flex attention in accordance to what is suitable of relationship to the object. A suitable relationship to the object of your mind right now. Yeah. So you realize you can have something like a breath. You think, well, that's the same thing. No, it's not. Every breath is different. And every moment is different. Yeah. And what you're actually experiencing really is changing. Sometimes you're really sharp and alert. Sometimes a little bit fuzzy and faded. And sometimes drifty and dreamy. And sometimes super intense. And so the whole... Well, actually, what's the kind of attention... And you're constantly aware of that ability to flex your attention and your intentions in accordance with what is a suitable way to relate to this meditation thing. So you really work. Work sounds a bit heavy, but you really become a skilled craftsperson in attention and intention. How to operate them, how to manage them, how to cool them, how to sharpen them, how to soften them. Yeah? And it's really relating to the, the chosen object. But if you learn that, then you've learned you have a really strong, really wonderful gift for your life. You become more flexible, agile in relating to everything. And with that, your mind is no longer <coughs> blindly tethered to sight, sounds, blindly tethered to perceptions, blindly tethered to emotions. It's got a way of balancing them. The axis of that, of that relationship, selfless. Not what I want, but actually what's appropriate. Not what I've chosen, but actually what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's selfless to that degree. And it becomes dispassionate. So this, of course, is a, you know, really only with dispassion can these sankharas relax, release, and fade. Because dispassion is not something you construct. It's the result of not constructing. Not concocting.
it's not an opinion it's not you should be dispassionate it's just it's the result of seeing how things are feeling how things are that's how you so these results are definitely um, realizable So someone has cultivated this is really it. Wherever they go, they're okay. Because phenomena change, situations change. It can be cold, it can be hot, it can be a lot, it can be not much, it can be busy, it can be not busy. But that relationship of dispassion, coolness, means that the mind is always centered, begins to feel its own center. It's always rushing out into these aggregates. And it's this ceasing of the rushing out of the binding that the Buddha felt was from his own experience absolutely critical and the hinge point of liberation and realization so once again I I expect you'll hear these themes many times and ponder these themes many times and they need to be heard and pondered many times the chitta requires a lot of patient training and education and, but it will grow, it will learn and it, uh, it's um, you know and those of us who are gathered here today you know, we're eager for that you know certainly we're not having a pleasant time all the time certainly we can feel lost and can't do it and yet somehow our chitta has said you go there <laughs> I, I want out, I want out, you go there. Oh no, yes you go there, I don't want it, you go. <laughs> That's how I got here. <laughs> I didn't want to do it either. <laughs> uh, you know, it does you good. In the long run it does you good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there is a ripening and a maturi- maturity that grows over time. So take, take my encouragement and my uh, uh, support for your practice this morning.